This morning, we don't want to go another step without God just consuming us today. If you're visiting with us, I am not Dr. Brian Wingenroth. I will tell him you laughed. Who said amen? George, I thought we were tight. Hey, my name is Luke Still. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, last week, just a quick little deal. Last week, I had the opportunity to take seven of our youth out uh, away for the week, and it was awesome. It was a, a great time, a great blast, uh, refreshing. Um, but something was um, reiterated in my life. Here's what I know to be true, that it takes time to get to know people. It takes time to build solid relationships. And so I had a great time getting to know for a full week, just kind of like an intensive seven of our youth. And I had a great time. And I want to say thank you to the church for letting us go because it was a blast. I get that out of the way. You'll see why a little bit later. All right. Um, Pastor Brian, as Pastor Steve said, he is away. He's down in Nicaragua serving on a missions trip with his wife. And so you be in prayer for him that he would... Uh, just have a great time uh, doing God's work down there, but also that God would bring him back so he'll be back with us next week. I don't know how many of you were here a couple of weeks ago, but if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian uh, made this statement. He said, I've seen Luke work, and I wouldn't call it work. That's what he said. And for some reason, I have been labeled all the time that because I'm the youth pastor, I do nothing around here. And so I thought about that. And um, what I did was, is I didn't want to let anybody down. So I've got nothing for you this morning. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we will be dismissed. And you can be on your way. And you can tell Pastor Brian that we were out at never when he's close to being out. Just kidding. Let me do this. I do want to pray. And then we will dive into God's word. Let's pray. Lord, oh, God, consume us this morning. Lord, I pray. God, I beg and I plead with you this morning, God, that you would send your spirit, that you would fill this place, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high. You are a holy, a righteous and just God. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would so impact our lives, God, that we would not be able to do anything but to bring you glory and to bring you honor. God, your word as we open it, Lord, allow it to penetrate our lives, allow us to change for you and for your glory. We love you and we thank you this morning. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pews in front of you. If you don't have one to keep, that's our gift to you. So if you need a Bible, take one with you this morning. But Exodus chapter 33. If you've ever been to church, if you've ever gone to church, if you ever went to church because a boyfriend or girlfriend were at church, you just went, you have probably heard the story of the nation of Israel. You've probably heard it so well that you could probably tell it. You could probably share it. It goes something like this. The nation of Israel, they're in Egypt. They've been in slavery for a long time. And then God does this incredible work through this guy named Moses. He sends ten plagues and Pharaoh finds 
finally decides to let the nation of Israel free, to go free. And so they begin to march out of Egypt. And after marching out of Egypt, all of a sudden they come smack dab to the face of the Red Sea. And of course the Israelites begin to grumble and argue, I can't believe God would let us, lead us out of Egypt just to bring us to our death here at the, the Red Sea. And of course... God comes through again, and what does He do? Well, He parts the Red Sea, and the, the nation of Israel walks across on dry land, and, and according to the movies, you can turn around and see that the Egyptian armies are coming, and they're approaching very fast, and all of a sudden, they get into the middle of the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel, they're safe on the other side, and the, and the waters come crashing down, and it wipes out the Egyptian army. You've probably heard that story. How many of you have heard that story? Just... Trying to get a little interaction. I do better when people interact with me. So we've all probably heard that. We know that Moses, well, he's their representative. He is the guy that kind of stands before God and leads this nation, so to say. And, and we know that God has brought them out of Egypt and He is bringing them to a land, a land that He has called the promised land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's a great land, a land that they are going to be able to inhabit. But Moses, he's... With God. At this point in time, he's up on Mount Sinai and he's having this dialogue with God and God is giving him these two tablet thingies that have some commandments on them. And and all of a sudden, I wasn't there, but I can imagine it went something like this. God says to Moses, hey, Moses, your people, my people, they're getting into a little bit of trouble. And, and, And so Moses sees, well, what's happened? The nation of Israel at this time They've grown tired of waiting. They've grown frustrated for waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain. And they don't want to wait anymore. They're tired of waiting for Moses to get this revelation from the Lord. You see, he's been up there for 40 days. Quick question. Do you and I ever get tired of waiting? Maybe a better question would be, Do the people in which you interact with on a daily basis ever get tired of waiting? In our society, do we have a problem with waiting? This is yes, this is no. It's okay, it's okay. We have a problem with waiting. We we get in such a fast pace. If you have a, a pen handy... You could open up your bulletin and you'll take note that in your bulletin you'll see that there are a bunch of lines. There are not points. If you come to Pastor Brian's sermons, he gives you about 20 things to fill in. I don't do that and there's a reason. I'll tell you why. When you just give blanks, you have no idea when I'm going to be done. Pastor Brian, you got, oh man, 40 more things. This is going to take forever. Me? You have no idea. I could stop right now. We're done. We're golden. I, I give you blanks. But if you have a pen handy, write this down. Growing up at First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale, I sat under two pastors. Dr. O.S. Hawkins was the first pastor that I sat under. And then Dr. Larry Thompson. And Dr. Larry Thompson would make this statement all the time. He would say this. The one thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had waited on God. Write that down. I'll tell you why. Because you're going to want to remember that. In life, the one thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had waited on God. How many times are we like the nation of Israel? 
We're always in a hurry. And to be honest, for most of us, we live our lives in a fast food drive through mentality, don't we? And when it comes to our spiritual life, it's really no different. When it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to Sunday morning, we kind of live in a fast food drive through mentality. Here's what I mean. How many of you have ever been to a drive through Oh, we've all been to a drive through I'm not going to ask you because you guys don't raise your hands anyway. So... We've been to a drive-thru. You pull up to that little box, and what do they say? May I take your order, please? And when it comes to church, we come in these doors, and we sit down, and we're like, all right, I'm ready for the church to take my order. And here's what a lot of us say. Here's what a lot of us think. Yes, I'll have three hymns. I'll have two choruses sung with with meaning. I'll have one prayer. I'll have three points in a 20-minute sermon. Please hold the pastoral rambling. Yeah, we live in a fast food. And then you know what we hear? Drive up to the next window and deposit your tithe. Yeah. And and we are so in a rush. We're always in a hurry. And even spiritually, we're the same way. In our society, we have so ingrained in ourselves that everything is at the tip of our fingers. I mean, think about it with me for just a second. Do you remember like... When you're hungry, you just go to a fast food restaurant. Do you remember when you used to go to the movies? Now, I know we still go to the movies, but we don't have to. Why? Because everything's at the tip of our fingers. Here's what I mean. It used to be you would go to a movies, but then that kind of got outdated. So you went to Blockbuster Video, got a video, and came back and watched it. But now you don't even have to do that. You can turn your TV on and go on demand or you can have Netflix streaming right into your home and you don't even have to leave your house. News? You used to have to wait till the 6 o'clock news came on. Not anymore. Sit down at your computer and the internet will tell you what happened instantaneously. I mean, the minute that it's happened, it's been uploaded right on to the internet. And so we live in a fast-paced society. And here's what I know to be true. Maybe you're different than me. I don't know. But when we pull into that fast food restaurant, it's not because we savor the flavor of that juicy hamburger. You know what I mean? Of those greasy fries. Of that strawberry shake that you just can't live without. It's not because you desire those unbelievable products. I know you're hungry now, aren't you? I thought about having them in here and just eating while I was saying that to you. But then I was like, nah, probably get in trouble for eating in the sanctuary. But um, anyways, but he- here's my point. It's not because you desire those foods. You know why you go to that fast food restaurant? It's because we want to satisfy our hunger instantly. We go to the fast food restaurant because we want to satisfy our hunger instantly. But watch, do you realize that even fast food has become too slow for us? Do you know what I mean? Watch. I got four kids and a wife. <laughs> I have a wife and four kids. But, but watch, we'll be out, we'll be driving around, we'll have done something, I don't know, gone to the zoo, gone all the way down to my, whatever. And inevitably, we'll be coming back home and we're like, man, we're, we're hungry. 
But we don't want to go home because if you go home, it takes time to cook a meal. And we're already hungry and the kids are really hungry. So what do you do? You pull into the first fast food place that you can find. Maybe it's a Wendy's. Maybe it's a McDonald's. If it's the McDonald's on Federal, they have two drive through lanes. It's awesome. So you pull in. But fast food is too slow for us because we live in such a fast-paced society. And what happens? Well, there's maybe one or two cars in front of you. And so you begin to wait. And as you're waiting, you're like, man, it's been a minute. A minute. And you're like, this is supposed to be fast food. I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? Uh, and so you start to get upset. And then what happens? Daddy, I want a cheeseburger. Daddy, I want chicken nuggets. Daddy, I want a shake. Daddy, I don't want anything. I just want the toy and the Happy Meal. Can you just buy the Happy Meal? And you're like, oh my goodness, leave me alone. And then, then you realize it's only been two and a half minutes, but the car in front of you still hasn't moved. And then what happens? Sure enough, they finally move and you move all of three feet and you get to that little box and the voice comes on. Can you please hold? No, I can't hold. Like one time I just want to go up there and be like, ma'am, if I could hold, I would never mind. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just being transparent. I have a hard time when they tell me to hold. And the reason is, is because we live in such a fast paced society. Oftentimes, we do the same thing when it comes to our spiritual life. And here's what I mean by that. You see, heartfelt time with the Lord is not something that we can just instantly manufacture. In fact, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It'll be on the screen. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's a verse that probably all of you are familiar with. You've probably heard it a hundred times and probably 99 times you've heard it out of context. And hopefully this morning you'll hear it in context. But it's this verse. It says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, Christian, once you've accepted me as your personal Lord and Savior, once you have placed your faith and trust in me, I am standing there and I am waiting to come in and dine with you. I'm waiting to fellowship with you. Jesus says, I want to spend time getting getting to know you in a deep and intimate level. It says right here that he wants to come in and dine with me. And I got to thinking about that. Do you know what's amazing? At least for me, I'm just, again, trying to be transparent this morning, but I don't invite people over to my house for dinner that I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't. For instance, if I'm driving in my car and I'm at a stoplight listening to music and somebody beside me motions for me to roll down my window and I roll down my window and they say, hey, I'd like to come to your house for dinner tonight. I'm not going to be like, sure, follow me home. Come to my house. We'll have dinner. Why am I not going to do that? Because I have four kids and a wife. Watch. And I don't know their motives. I don't know who they are. I don't know their background. I don't know their history. And I don't know what they're going to do when they get in my house. Instead, the people that we have over to our house, they're people that we've had the opportunity to get to know. They're people that we say, hey, I kind of know their motives. I'm not really worried if they're going to come in and steal anything or they're going to like slaughter my family. No, no, I know they're just going to come in and eat. 
You know what I mean? You're not inviting people that you don't know over to your house. And Jesus says, hey, listen, once you've accepted me and what I've done for you on the cross, listen, I want to come in. Why? Because you already have a relationship with him. But now over a meal, over dinner, we get to know each other in a personal and intimate way. In my house, with our four kids, it's always interesting anytime you sit down together. But my wife will say this all the time. A lot of times I'm like, I don't get home late if it's a Wednesday night or Sunday night or whatever the case may be. But when I do come home, we try to eat dinner around the dining room table. And my wife will say this. I love sitting together as a family. And what what she'll end up doing is she'll end up going around the table and she'll say to the kids, Landon, what was your favorite part of the day? And he'll say, oh, it was like, you know, hitting my sister and punching her or whatever the case may be. And, and Kiera, what was your favorite part of the day? It was not getting hit by Landon when he said he loved me. And, and, and so we'll go around. But here's what we're doing. As a family, we're getting to know each other. We're spending time together. Families don't sit around the table much anymore. We'll come home. Hey, you got your Wendy's. You go in that room and I'll go in this room and... And Jesus says, hey, listen, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice who has a relationship with me, I want to just come in and I want to eat. And he wants to get to know each and every one of us. Watch. But we live in a fast-paced society. We don't have time to sit down. We don't have time to to pick up and and to, to just invest in each other's life. Just so you know, that was just a side note. That was nothing I wanted to share this morning. Just a side note. But here we go. Moses. He's been up on Mount Sinai for about 40 days. And the people, they're getting tired of waiting. And so they say to Aaron, and if you don't know who Aaron is, Aaron is Moses' right-hand man. They say to Aaron, Aaron, we're tired of waiting on Moses. Would you do us a favor? Would you build us a god? And Aaron agrees. Aaron says, hey, if you bring your gold and your jewelry, they do, they bring it, they melt it down, and they build this calf, this golden calf. And they begin to worship this golden calf. And God, he's talking with Moses, and Moses, our people, they're they're sinning. And in Exodus chapter 32, Moses says to God, I will go down the mountain And we know that Moses goes down the mountain and he is angry and he's upset and he takes those tablets and he throws them and they break and we know that he gets in trouble. And But then he says this. He says to the nation of Israel, all of you who are for God, come with me. And the clan of Levi comes with Moses. And then Moses says this, take out your swords and there is war inside the nation of Israel. It is not good. They are at war with themselves because there are those that are for God and there are those that aren't. And Moses is cleaning house. And that's where we will pick up the story in Exodus Chapter 33, we will begin in verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perorite, 
the Heaviite and the Jebusites and any other ites that might be there, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. This is an interesting verse to start out with. Why? Here's what I find interesting. Verse 2 says what? Verse 2 says that God is going to send what? An angel. I don't know if that gets you excited, but that gets me excited. Here's why. An angel is going to go before the nation of Israel. Maybe it doesn't excite you like it makes me excited. Here's why. Because my idea of an angel is not like the normal idea of an angel. It's not the little picture of a guy with a bow and arrow. You know what I'm saying? It's not the little naked baby angel on your family Bible at home. No. The Bible talks about angels. And they are huge, ferocious, ginormous beings that normally wield some type of weapon. And God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to send an angel before you. That gets me excited. I could imagine if I was just like, all right, God, today I need an angel, buddy. I got a lot going on and I need an angel just to plow through it. That would be, that would be incredible. Obviously, you're not as excited as I am. Just saying. But here's why it would be incredible. Let's say you had a meeting. And it was a meeting that you weren't looking forward to. You ever had one of those? Every Tuesday I have one. Just kidding, Pastor Steve. But let's say you had a meeting you didn't really want to go to. You knew you had this angel. And he's going in wielding a weapon. <laughs> I would be excited. The nation of Israel... Well, why an angel? Why is God going to send an angel ahead of them? Look at verse 3 again. It says this. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Semicolon. Uh-oh. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. What? Why is God going to send an angel? Why is God going to send an angel? Because God himself's not going to go. Why is God himself not going to go? Because he's what? He would consume them. What does that mean? He would wipe them out. Why would he wipe them out? You ever met a stiff-necked person? I'd wipe them out too. I got four kids. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, God says, I'm going to send an angel. And the reason I'm going to send an angel is because if I were to go with you, I would wipe you out. It's the idea that with a single swoop, he would literally destroy them. And God says, hey, I'm going to send this angel before you. And so God, watch this, in his grace, sends an angel to lead them instead of himself. You know why? So that the nation of Israel would live. Did you catch that? Because if God went, they would surely die. Why? Because he's a righteous God. And what did they just committed? Idolatry. Sin. And so let's look at the response of the Israelites. Verse 4. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. 
Now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. What is the Israelites' response? They're like, God, as cool as an angel is, it's not you. And what do they do? They begin to mourn. Why? They begin to weep. They begin to cry. I'll tell you why. Because God's sending an angel instead of himself. Question, do we have that same passion? Do we want God to go with us rather than an angel? Or would we, because we live in such a fast-paced society, go, well, an angel's from God. I'm just going to go with that. I'll just, I'll just settle and go with an angel. It's still from God, but, but it's not God. And so they begin to mourn and they begin to weep and they begin to cry because God is not going to be the one that leads them. They have a passion for God's presence. And then let's look what happens. You see Moses, Moses, Moses becomes a little bit bold. Look at verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went, went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his Friends, if you know anything uh, about the tent of meetings or the tabernacle uh, of meetings, you know that it's a special place. It's a unique place. In fact, in Exodus chapter 29, we're giving, uh, given a very vivid description of this place. And what we learn is it is the place that God meets with His people. It's the place that God would speak. It's the place that God would sanctify His people by His glory. And, and it's a place where they would encounter God one on one. And so Moses knows that when he is about to enter this tent, he is about to meet with God. He's not going out to this tent to take a nap, to, to catch up on a few Z's or, or to rest at all. No, he knows that he is about to walk into this tent and come face to face with the living God. And if you know anything at all about Moses, you know that this is completely contrary to the character of Moses just some 30 chapters earlier in exodus chapter 3 anybody know what happened in exodus chapter 3 give you a hint there's a bush and it's burning in moses he's walking through the the wilderness the desert area and he stumbles upon this bush that is burning and although it is burning it is not being consumed it's not being burnt up and the lord begins to speak to moses through this bush and the lord says moses remove your sandals because the ground on which you're standing is holy and the bible says that after that moses hid his face in fact it's almost a cowardly hide. It's a hide out of fear. You know why I find this amazing? 
Because here in chapter 33, Moses enters the tent. In chapter 3, he hides his face and God is not even angry. But here in chapter 33, God is upset. He is angry at the nation of Israel for committing idolatry. And yet Moses boldly walks into the tent where God is going to be. And he is not hiding his face. It's a completely different Moses. You would think that Moses would have learned what you and I learned when we were young at home. Do you remember growing up when maybe mom or dad asked you to do something? And for whatever reason, it just kind of slipped your mind. Do you remember that? And then you would go off, you would do whatever it is that you wanted to do, and then you would come home. And for me, it was mostly my dad that told me to do things. And I would come home and my mom would say, you might not want to see your dad right now. Why? Well, he not only had a hard day at work, but you forgot to do what you were supposed to do, what he asked you to do. Did anybody else go through that? I don't know why I'm asking. You don't raise your hands. But I remember specifically, you know what would happen in my mind as soon as my mom or my sister would say that to me? You know what would happen in my mind? I would know exactly what it was I was supposed to do. Oh, and then if you were smart, you would try to do it real quick before your dad noticed, wouldn't you? For me, uh, I had this idea. As long as I didn't go and jump on my dad and say, hey, dad, you want to wrestle? Hey, dad, you want a noogie when he was upset? My thought process was, out of sight, out of mind. So I would tiptoe around the house. Oh, dad's coming. Mm. Anybody up? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm just retarded. I don't know. But that's, you would have thought that's what Moses would have done. God is upset. He's angry. Why didn't I want to see my dad when I hadn't done something I was supposed to do? Because I didn't want to inquire the wrath of my father. In Moses, you would think, God is angry, he's upset, and yet he still boldly walks into where God is at. Why would he do such a thing? I'll tell you why. Because Moses understood something. The difference between Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus and chapter 33 is Moses understood the grace of God. If you were to ask my wife, Liz, what's Luke about? He would say, oh, he's all about grace. He always is just about grace. He always gives second chances. He's just about grace. I, I want you to understand something. I'm not about grace in the sense that people take advantage of grace. I understood what Paul was saying when Paul said, should I go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means should I do that. But I do understand grace when grace is needed. And, and here, Moses understands grace. Again, you don't have to turn there. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a famous verse that most of us know, it says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Moses knew God's grace. And it was that grace that led him into the throne room where Jesus was at. And it's the same grace, watch, that allows you and I to walk back into the presence of God daily. It's that grace. Oftentimes, especially in youth ministry, you'll hear people say, 
Larry kind of mentioned it while we were singing. Oh, God could never love me because of what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what I just fell into. God's a, a perfect God and I'm not perfect and so therefore I can't just go to Him. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth. Because the grace of God is sufficient for me. And that means that the love of God, which is all-encompassing, Jesus knew what He was doing when He went to the cross for you and for me. It's not like God loves some future version of you and me better. He loves us just the way we are. And there's no height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's look at Moses. He walks into the tent. And look at verse, (coughs) excuse me, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, If I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, Moses just doesn't enter into the the tent, but he begins to ask for requests. It goes something like this. He says, hey God, could you, could you show me your favor? Could you show the nation of Israel y- your favor? Even though we've done wrong, even though we sinned, God, God, do we still have your favor? And if that's not enough, God, remember your people, the nation of Israel, they're known by your name. When people see them, they go, that's Yahweh's people, the only one that could have brought them out of Egypt. God, just, just remember that. And then God says, My presence will go with you. Look at verse 15. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. You know what Moses was saying? Moses is saying, Hey God, if you're not going with me, I'm not taking another step. God, unless you go with us, unless you lead us, I don't want to go anywhere else, but I want to be right where your presence is. You see, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to spend one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. That's what Moses was saying. What about us? Do we get up in the morning and go, today, God, I don't want to go one step without you. I don't want to go one place without you leading me first. That's what, that's what Moses is saying. You know what happens though? We get caught up in the routine of life, don't we? We go through the motions. We do. I don't really need God this morning after my routine driving to work because I drive to work the same way every day for the last 40 years and and I know where all the speed bumps are and I know where everything is and so I don't really need God and I don't need God coming home from work because it's the same road that I drove to work and and I don't really need God at work because the meetings that I've been to, I've been to a hundred of them and they're all the same thing and I know the outcome and so really I don't need God. In fact, I don't know if we get caught up in the routine of life. And Moses says, God, I'm not going to go one more step unless you go with me. 
A lot of times we buy into the idea of the American individualism, which is, oh, I can do it on my own. I can pull up my bootstraps and I'll roll back my sleeves and I'll just get it done. And the problem is, is that God's not going with us. Moses said, I don't want to go one more step without you. Question, what if God were to make a deal with us like this? He would say, hey, Luke, what is the one thing that you desire right now? What is it? I know you're thinking, tell us, what do you desire? I'm not going to tell you. But think about that in your life. What is the one thing that you desire? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a a house that you can raise a family in. Maybe it's a, a friend that you can count on. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a car. Maybe whatever it is. What's the one thing that you desire so much so in your life right now? And what if God were to say to you, hey, listen, whatever it is that you want, I'm going to give it to you with one stipulation. The stipulation is that when I give this to you, you get less of me, meaning God. How many of us would go, I'm okay with that. I really want that. If that's you, it's called idolatry. And you are worshiping something greater than the God of this universe. You are longing for something that you so desperately want. Instead, we want to be desperate for God's presence. And say like Moses said, I don't want to go one more step unless you're going to go with me. Look at verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? Except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Do you see what Moses is saying? Man, we could chew on that for hours. Moses is saying, God, you know how people are going to know that we're different? That we're set apart? It's when you're with us. You see, when you're not with us, we're not different. We're not like, we're just like everybody else. But when you're with us, God, it's what sets us apart. It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon my life that has sanctified me and set me apart. And that's what he says. He says people should know that there's a difference in us. There should be a difference in our lives. Is there a difference in your life? Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. You would think that would have been good enough for Moses. Moses is like, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. You're going to go with us. You're going to, you're going to lead us. And God has said this now several times. Hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to do this thing that you've asked. But then Moses goes one step further. Look at, look at verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Moses is like, God, I know you said you'd go with me, but could you just do me one more favor? Could you show me your glory? And look at God's response. Verse 19. 
Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Did you hear what just happened? God says, Moses, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to show you a glimpse of my glory. And most of the time when preachers preach through this, we talk about something. We talk about how that when Moses encountered God, that it changed him spiritually. But not only that, it changed him physically. And, and how he was shown the glory of God so much that his face shone it and it, it radiated and it, and it glowed. And, and how that when you experience God, you can't help but change. Just as a side note, that's why we call our youth ministry The Edge. Stands for an everyday God experience. Why? Because I believe that when I experience God day in and day out, I can't help but live my life differently. And that's what we want to teach our young people. Is that when you experience God and His mercies are new and fresh day in and day out, that you will live your life differently. And God says, I'm going to let my glory pass by you. Now watch. Uh, I'm out of time, but listen, I'm going to try to wrap this up. We don't have to do that like Moses did anymore. We don't have to go, God, can I see your glory? Can you put me up in a rock? Can you put your hand over me? Let your glory pass by. Take your hand off. I get to see your back. We don't have to do that anymore. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. You don't have to turn there. But I want to read a couple for you. I read it as we started the service. John chapter 1 verse 14. What did it say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and of truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this. It says, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, we don't get to experience God's glory like Moses did. And I'll tell you why. It's because we can experience Jesus Christ day in and day out. And He is the glory of God. And so when you experience God's glory, listen, it does change you. Moses came down the mountain and it was like he said to the people, hey guys, guess what? I just got to talk with God face to face, but not really his face because if I would have seen his face, I would have died. So I got to see the back of him and look at me now. And they're like, what is wrong with your face? And he puts this veil over. But there is no doubt a difference in the life of Moses. I'm going to close with this. There should be a difference in those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Because we have the glory of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. There should be a difference. For instance, when we walk into a restaurant or when we walk into a grocery store, people should see the difference of Christ in our lives. When I go to get my hair cut, people... You're still awake. There should be something different. This week, with our youth, we 
We're up in Orlando, and we decided we were going to stop in to play paintball. And I walked in before everybody else because I was trying to get tickets and everything. And the manager behind the counter, man, we just kind of hit it off, kind of just started talking and making jokes. I didn't even know the guy, and he's making fun of me, and I'm making fun of him. It was great. And, and uh, he said to me, he goes, are you a Christian school? I was wearing a Highlands Christian basketball shirt. Thanks, Coach Good. And um, uh, I said, well, we're a Christian school, but we're really a church this week. We're, we have some of the kids from our church. They happen to go to our school. And he goes, oh, you're a church. Yeah, we had one of those in here last week. And it wasn't good. And I said to him, I said, but wait a minute, we're different. We're not like every other church. We only got seven. It can't be that bad. But that's why my heart sank. I even said it to Jeff and to Liz. I was like, man, this is what the problem is is so many people go, oh, they're, they're Christians. They're just weird. No, listen, we're not different because of the way we look or, or our charm or our personality. We're different because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our lives. And that should radiate to the people that we meet. We're different. Every time we stopped in between games, I tried to go inside. One, it was air conditioned. And two, he was in there. And I just tried to let him know that we're different. Just try to say, hey man, we're different because of what Jesus has done in our life. Hey, here's my question this morning. I, I said all of that, my pastoral rambling for this. Do you desire, are you desperate for the presence of God to walk with us? Like when you leave this building and you walk out here and you go to your lunch and you, you have the rest of your day, are you going, God, go with me? Don't send an angel, God, because I want you to go with me. I want you to walk with me, hand in hand, side by side. You see, that's my desire. It's where I'm at. Where are you? Let's stand. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that I would have a desire to walk with you day in and day out of my life. Lord, invade my life. Lord, so that we would be different for you. So that I would be different for you. We love you and we thank you, God. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Hey, have a great day.